Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining again week after week. I appreciate it so much. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you for uh, sponsoring me and believing it means so much to me. And I want to thank all of you listeners for just all your support. You have truly spread the word of all these amazing people who come on here who are vulnerable and they share just some amazing things that they've been through. And today's going to be no different. Today, we are joined with the author of the book, Sustainable Excellence, Terry Tucker. Terry, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Todd. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, he's coming He's coming to us live from Colorado, and uh, which is a beautiful state. I actually used to live in Colorado when I was much younger, uh, Longmont, Colorado, okay. if you know where that is. And uh, I, but, uh, I do. That's where I have to go get my COVID shot next week. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know right where it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, a little bit on uh, about Terry. He graduated from the Citadel where he played NCAA basketball. And that's, you're speaking my language too. I played a little basketball myself. Uh, he worked in marketing, uh, in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International. He became a police officer where he was more specifically a SWAT hostage negotiator. I cannot wait to talk to you about that. He may, he may have to talk me off the ledge today. I don't know. <laughs> um, but back in 2012, he was diagnosed with a very rare cancer, uh, which I can't even pronounce and I'll let him do that. But, uh, he, he, you know, it started in his foot and, uh, and it moved up and, and he went through and he's still dealing with it today, but he, you know, Terry brings this very unique and positive bent on the idea of health and self-improvement. And, you know, he's just an amazing guy. He's been on millions of podcasts. I feel lucky that he reached out to me and, and is going to be on ours. And he just has a beautiful story. And we were talking before we started here that we just want to make a difference in someone's life today. And I love that approach. That is our goal today. If we can do that with one person today, which I think we will, we have, uh, we can call that a success. So Terry, you're amazing. And I can't wait to hear your story. Why don't we start with where did you grow up and tell us a little bit about your childhood? Sure. I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I am the oldest of three boys. You, you okay. can't tell this from me sitting down here, but I'm six foot eight. And as you mentioned, I played college basketball wow. at the Citadel. I have a brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher at the University of Notre Dame. Wow. And then my middle brother is six foot six and was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. Wow. And then my dad was 6'5". So, but my mom, you know, was like 5'8". And mom was the <laughs> boss. It didn't matter how tall, how big, how strong we were. Whatever mom said, that's the way it was. So, wow. <clears throat> so that was pretty much, you know, yeah. growing up, we were, we were a bunch of jocks. And really yeah. is, is what we were and had a, had a great time. You know, we still, whenever we can get together, both my brothers live in Chicago, um, we, we, we have a good time kind of ribbing each other about different things. Oh, stuff. I bet you do. I bet you do. Well, you know, what's, what's neat. Obviously you guys are very tall. You just mentioned that. Um, and basketball was probably a natural, you know, progression in your life as you were growing up. What were some of the things you, you know, you can look back on now. What, what did you learn from basketball that was, has really even helped you to this day? Yeah. I, when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries and two of them were, pre-arthroscopic surgery. So I have kind of the large zipper scar oh, on the yeah. outside of, of my right yeah. knee. Yeah. And, you know, really that was kind of the start. I, I was, and I, and I don't mean to sound this conceited, but I was a really good basketball player. And yeah. then I had knee surgery and I got inside my head or my head got inside me, however you want to look at it. <laughs> right. You know, and I started to doubt myself, you know, am I really that good? Am I, you know, can I still play at an elite level? And, yeah. and I had, I had coach K Mike Krzyzewski when he was the coach of army sit on my couch in Chicago and 
say, please come to West Point and play basketball for me. And I said, no. So I'm sure your audience will disregard everything I say after this point, knowing what an idiot I was, you know, that, that, that I didn't actually pursue that. Um, wow. but, yeah. you know, so I kind of learned that, you know, you, you you've got to control your mind. You got to get out of your head or, or your yeah. head is going to get inside of you and, and really kind of, kind of take over. And, and that was really one of the, one of the big things that I learned, uh, you know, in very early on in, in high school. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. And I think, well, yeah, first of all, when you have coach K, uh, sitting on your couch, that's something to say. That's pretty amazing. He's like the, the Mecca of the amazing greatest coaches of all time. I mean, he's the guy and, uh, that says, a I don't lot. think my mom let anybody sit on that spot afterwards. You know, it's like <laughs> coach K sat there. Don't, no, no, you yeah, can't sit there. Sit it's over all here. roped off and yes, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> but I agree with you. I think, I think the number one cause of human suffering is, is our own thinking. And like you said, getting inside our heads and where we just, you know, I can only imagine after those knee surgeries, how that played a part on your psyche and moving forward and in, in, in doing that. Yeah, it really, you know, when I, I went, went to school in Chicago and, and there, there are a lot of good players that came out of Chicago. I, I don't know if you, if you've ever heard of the name Isaiah Thomas, but oh, yeah. he, he went to Indiana, won a national championship, went to the Detroit Pistons, won a couple NBA championships. He and I were in the same conference together. So yeah. I got to play against some really, really good, good talent. And, and I remember one morning, actually Isaiah Thomas played for St. Joe's and it was the farthest point from our school. Right. And we went there on a Friday night, got home late Saturday morning. My mom comes in and she's like, get up. There's a phone call for you. And I'm like, mom, you know, I'm a 17 year old kid. I'm like, mom, leave me alone. It's Saturday morning. I want to sleep in. <laughs> right, I'm in bed. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know how kids are at that age. And then sure. my dad, who, like I said, was six foot five, 250 pounds. When dad came in the room, he's like, get up. You know, that's all he needed to say. And he's like, there's a phone call for you. And, the person on the other end of the call was Joe B. Hall, who wow. was the basketball coach of the University of Kentucky, who had just won the national championship the year before. And he wow. was interested in talking to me, you know. So, I mean, like I said, you get in your head and you think you're not that good. But then you have some of these elite coaches that are still willing to to take a chance on you, recruit you. And, and you, you quickly realize you, you got to get out of your head and, you know, you still have worth and value. Yeah, I love that. Another thought, and we'll, obviously we're gonna we have so much to talk about today. But just curious on what were some of the takeaways growing up, just from that you took from your parents. Like, what were some you know things that you that they taught you that you still maybe incorporate in your life today? I think the three biggest things that have helped me through my cancer journey. <clears throat> excuse me, I learned from my parents, and and I call them the three Fs: their faith, family, and friends. Mm -hmm. And we were, you know, we were raised Roman Catholic. I'm still Roman Catholic. I, I go to church. I mean, obviously I don't now with the pandemic, but, you know, right. we always went to church, you know, faith, God was an incredibly important part of our life. And so was family. I, I mean, I right. remember when my, my younger brother was, was playing basketball in high school and I had graduated from college. I was living at home, helping my, my mom take care of my dad, my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. And, and my brother had a game and, I was like, you know, no, I'm not going to go to the game that I'm going to work out after work. And my yeah. dad was like, you know, I, I mean, I'm like 24 years old, 23 years old. My dad's like, oh, absolutely not. You'll be going to your brother's game. I'm like, dad, I'm an adult. I don't care if you're an adult. You're living in my house. You know, you're living in my house. You're going to your brother's game. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was kind of mad, but it was, that was family. You know, you, yeah. family comes first and you support your brother. And, and then obviously friends, you know, the friends yeah. that we have and stuff like that. So the three F's were definitely kind of instilled in me. And to this day, they're important to me. And they're things that we passed on to our daughter as well. Wow. That's beautiful. Faith, family, and friends. I, I think that's amazing. Well, why don't we, you know, why don't we talk, I want to jump, I want to get to the point where you were struggling, obviously when you got diagnosed with cancer, but I'd love to talk to you if you're okay about you know, becoming a police officer, uh, specifically a SWAT hostage negotiator. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's when you say that people are kind of like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> I started in law enforcement very late in life. I was 37 years old when I was a rookie cop. And okay. my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during, you know, prohibition during yeah. the, 
the Al Capone, the gangs and all that kind of stuff. Man. And I, I don't remember him. He, he was, I, he died when I was like six or seven, but my grandmother, his wife lived in, until I was in college. So I always heard the stories and I always yeah. wanted to be a policeman. My dad was like, absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in <laughs> business. You're going to, my dad had my whole life planned out for me, <laughs> but, but my passion was law enforcement. And yeah. so I, I did what every good son did. I waited till my dad passed away and then I pursued my dreams. So, uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it, in reality, that's kind of the way it happened. But I, I, right. I went, you know, I, I became a marketing person with Wendy's. I became a hospital administrator, but I did not have the passion for yeah. those jobs that I had for law enforcement. So when I became a policeman, um, it was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I've always wanted to be the best and I wanted to be part of the best. And so, you know, there's kind of the old saying we said, when, you know, when the public needs help, they call the police. When the police needs help, need help, they call SWAT. So oh, I was like, okay. I want to be part of SWAT. And oh. I, I, I was also smart enough to realize that I did not want to sit out in the elements and be rained on and snowed on and, you know, <laughs> everything like that, like the tactical guys did. Now, I wanted to be in the motor home talking to the person on the phone, you know, where we had air conditioning <laughs> and food and a bathroom and all that stuff. So, um, so, I, so I literally applied for the negotiators and, uh, you know, had to take a PT test, a physical fitness test, a psychological yeah. test and, and, and be interviewed. And it was a long process, but it was an incredibly rewarding job because obviously if you were talking to me, you were probably having the worst day of your life. And yeah. I was going to try to help you, you know, in two or three hours on a problem that may have been festering for 20 years. Right. And 90% of the time we got the person out and wow. everything was fine, but probably 10% of the time it ended with them taking their own lives. And, you know, I, I, I don't mean to sound cruel or callous about this, but I never lost any sleep over that because I had great training. I worked with great people. I did the very best I could to help them. Yeah. It was their decision whether, you know, yeah. it was going to end peacefully or not. No, I love that you say that, that, uh, <laughs> you know, you can rest and not lose any sleep when you know you've done your best. You've done all the training. You, like you said, you put in the work and, and that's very profound when you said that to me. I can imagine, I mean, it's probably like just a very intense thera therapy session on the phone with this person, right? Well, it, it is. And the thing you got to realize that as a police officer, you know, usually when, when we're interacting with the public, we are interacting with the human being who's standing there with us. Right. So, you know, if the, if the person starts balling up their hands like they're making fists, you might want to conclude that they might want to fight you. Yeah. Or if they start looking around, you might conclude that they're going to run from you. And okay, yeah, yeah I've concluded that. Now I can do that. I can handcuff you. I can sit you down and put you in the back of the car. I can do things. But yeah. when you're negotiating, we had to figure out the situation based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, and yeah. how they were saying it. And there were a lot of times where we went, I, I, there are a lot of times I went down a road where the guy was like, no, you idiot. That's not what the problem <laughs> is. It's like, okay, I totally blew that one. You know, so now yeah. you got to regroup. But the whole thing is, is trust. Do you trust me? And wow. we never lied to people. You know, we never, you know, they were like, oh, if I come out, I don't want to go to jail. Well, I'm sorry. You're going to go to jail when you come out. But yeah. um, I, I mean, literally I had a guy one time who barricaded himself in the house with his wife, had a gun. He was intoxicated. I got there. I, I was talking to the district guys, the, the beat cops, and yeah. they said, he's drunk. And I got him on the phone. I said, what would it take you to come out? He said, give me a beer. I said, excuse me? He said, give me a beer. I said, if I got you a beer, you promise me you'll let your wife go and come out. Yep. I gave the one of the beat guys five bucks. I said, get out of the store, buy a beer. We put the beer on the front porch and said, if you come out, you can drink the beer. He came out, we handcuffed him, he drank the beer and off he went to jail. So wow. <laughs> sometimes it works out that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You never know, right? It can be something you know, as simple as that, right? Right. Yeah. Most of them aren't that simple though. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. How long, how many years did you do that, Barry? Almost, almost four years. Okay. I got you. So what did you decide to move on or was it, you know, did you get to the point where you were feeling like burned out? Because again, that's a very intense position. It, it was, but, but like I said, I loved it. And <clears throat> my wife didn't like it so much because yeah. we carried pagers at the time. And I, honestly, I, I mean, my pager went off. Yeah, exactly. No cell phones or anything. You know, our pagers, my pager went off almost every Sunday dinner. You know, oh, and it was yeah. like my wife made a nice meal and 
pager goes off and she would kind of look at me like, are you kidding me? Wow. And it's like, honey, I got to go. And, you know, she was very supportive. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah it, it, it was I, the reason I left. The reason I left law enforcement is my wife was the primary breadwinner and she lost her job in Cincinnati, was not able to find a new one and found one in Houston, Texas. So I did what was best for our family and okay. I had to move on to something else. So, again, kind of going back to the three F's, you know, family, yeah. more important. Wow. That's amazing, Terry. Thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about in 2012, when you were diagnosed with cancer, tell us what the cancer was. I know it's a very rare form. Tell us what happened and just take us through that journey. And I know you've been through so much because of it. Yeah. So I, I'll just make it easy because the, the medical term is, <laughs> is kind of a mouthful. It's, it's basically a rare form of melanoma. And, okay. you know, most people think of a melanoma as, you know, a dark spot on their skin or, or yeah. you know, sun damage or something like that. This is a rare form that appears on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands. Mm. And they really don't know why, but, and there's okay. even a rare form that appears in the mucous membrane. So in your mouth, you know, in your nose or something like that, but it's still melanoma. So 2012, I had a callus break open on the bottom of my left foot right below my third toe. I was a basketball coach at the time, high school coach. So I didn't think a lot of it, but eventually went to a podiatrist friend of mine, a foot doctor. And, you know, he did that. Oh, we'll put some pads in there and cushion it and da, 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 da. And then when that didn't work, he took an x-ray and he's like, I think you got a little cyst in there. I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me and it was just a a gelatin sack with some white fat in it. He's like, ah, seen thousands of these. Don't worry about it. Right. Put a couple stitches in. You'll be good in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was the last good two weeks I had in my life. Right. Wow. And, and he calls me and like I said, he had been a friend and he was having difficulty talking mm. and trying to tell me what was going on. And finally he just said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. Really? And, you know, talk about being scared. I mean, it's yeah. bad enough when somebody tells you, you got cancer, but then to tell you that they've never seen this form of cancer. And he said, you know, you should go to MD Anderson, right. which is probably the, the greatest cancer hospital that we have on the planet and be treated for this. And so I did. I had two surgeries at MD Anderson and I had a skin graft on the bottom of my foot to, to close the wound where the cancer had been cut out. And then uh, my doctor put me on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon. And interferon for me was just a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. And I, and I took a weekly injection of that drug and I actually had to give it to myself, which I always kind of thought was very masochistic to begin with, you know, it's like, here, you're going to do this to yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) But I, I, I was on it for almost five years until I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees because of the toxicity. So I guess to try to put it in perspective, interferon gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. I, I lost 50 pounds during my therapy. I used to joke with my wife that I thought I was so skinny that I, I could go hang gliding on a Dorito, you know, it was kind of, okay. Not a good joke, but still, sometimes you got to laugh at this. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes so, you, yeah. You'll cry if you don't, right. You don't, you don't. And yeah. I mean, so basically imagine having the flu every yeah. week for two or three days for five years. And that's kind of what I went through. And literally as soon as the interferon was stopped, the cancer came back and that was 2017. 2018, January of 2018, I had my left foot amputated, came back in 2019, a couple more surgeries. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only option was the amputation of my leg uh, above the knee, right in the middle of the global pandemic. I mean, it was last April, my wife dropped me off at the hospital. (laughs) I was the only surgery that day, you know, nobody could be with me. It was... Oh it's it pretty intense, pretty intense, but we got through it. Uh, but I also found out I have tumors in my lungs and I am undergoing therapy, uh, clinical trial drug for that, which I'm happy to report is working. Uh, the, the drug has shrunk the tumors by 30%, but my doctor's not exactly talking about cure. He's just talking about buying me a little more time. So yeah. that's kind of, wow. that's kind of the journey in a, in a nutshell. Wow, Terry, that's that's heavy stuff. And thank you for, you know, being willing to share that part with us. Um, I mean, here you are, this athletic guy, you know, who can play basketball and do all kinds of things. And then 
just, you know, losing your leg. Talk about that because I have a, I have a nephew who lost his leg in an accident and just listen to kind of some of his journey through the family and what they've told me and just how hard that's been for him at times. Tell us a little bit about that and how you've dealt with that. You know, it's funny. I had a, I had a nurse ask me recently, you know, she's like, did you, was it a big problem to lose your foot, to lose your leg and stuff like that? And, and, and I don't, you know, there, there's no S on my chest and I do not wear a cape. So, you know, please understand that there were times where, I mean, there were times literally I was in so much pain that I, that I prayed to die. I'm just like, please get me out of this. I, I don't want to be part of this. Jeez. But what I told her was, no, it, it wasn't a problem because I am much bigger than the sum of my parts. You know, I yeah. think back of the, of sort of the Jim Valvano speech, you know, at the ESPYs yeah. about, you know, cancer can, but that's the way I felt, you know, cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart. It can't touch my will. And it can't, you know, and, and I, yeah. when I heard Valvano make that speech, I'm like, yeah, that's nice. And I didn't quite understand it. I understand it now. I understand exactly where he's coming from. I mean, you can cut everything off, but it's, that's not who I am. I mean, yeah, that's, right. you know, it's kind of like having an egg in the morning, you know, what you eat, you throw away the shell. Well, yeah. What you cut off is my shell. So yeah. Um, yeah, was it easy? No. Uh, and I'm still confined to a wheelchair. I have a prosthetic leg, but the, the treatment for the tumors in my lungs leaves me so worn out and depleted that I just haven't had the opportunity to get with a physical therapist over a period of time. I only get so many visits because of my insurance that I don't want to use those until I'm strong sure. enough to do that. So, so I, 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 I list support a little bit, you know, kind of, that's a bad joke too, <laughs> but I, but I did have a great, I had a great Halloween costume this year. I, I, I went as half of Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so anyway, so, I like um, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so, good. sometimes you got to laugh at this stuff and that, but yeah, it, it was not easy and, you know, yeah. learning how to get around and learning how to, you know, to get yourself in and out you know, of the bed, off the toilet, you know, in the chair and things like that. Took a little bit of, of getting used to, but you know what? I figured it out and, and I, and I'll continue to figure it out. No. And I, and I believe that. And you're, you're a powerful man, Terry. I, you know, I've done a lot of research on you over the past several weeks and a common theme I saw through all of your, you know, your videos, your blog posts, you know, just things that you've done is that you basically say, I refuse to be a victim. Yeah. And that's, and that's just it. I mean, we're all going to experience pain during our lives. Yeah. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, that's optional. Optional. And I say that because it's up to you how you handle it. And, yeah. and I've used it and, and people ask me all the time, you know, and if I knew the answer to this, I would have written a book and I'd be retired on an Island in Jamaica somewhere. But <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I've just had enough pain that instead of running from it, instead of wanting to say, you know, get away from me. Now I just say, give it to me, give it to me. Cause I'm going to use it. I'm going to turn it inside and burn it as fuel or use it as energy to make me stronger and more determined. And, you know, there are days that I go for therapy where some, you know, I have to have blood work before and, and I have to have, cause it's a clinical trial. They're measuring the amount of, of medicine in my body. I, you know, there are days I get stuck with a needle 14, 15 times during the day. You know, people are like, how do you, yes, it's just a needle. It's just yeah. a little bit of pain. You know, yeah. you take that pain, you turn it inside, you make it a little stronger. Like, you know what, you want to stick me again, stick me again. I don't care. You yeah. know, and, and I, but I love the nurses, you know, the nurses are always like, Hey, tell me if I'm hurting you. Well, you got a needle in my arm. Yeah. You're kind of hurting me. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't feel good. So, but you know, keep doing what you're doing. So, yeah. You wow. Know. Well, you know, I know, you know, you, another thing you, you know, you call yourself a cancer warrior and over the last, you know, nine, 10 years, you focus on the healthy aspect of being sick. And there's three things you kind of live by. Will you explain those to our listeners? Cause I really was fascinated by that. I just, that really hit me hard. I'm like, man, how's he doing that? And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Actually, there there are four now. There well, used there to four. be three. There are four. Okay. I, and I I have kind of been toying with adding a fourth. And okay. I, it, it just got to the point where I was like, yeah, I think this makes sense. So the first one I, I kind of alluded to a little bit is you need to control your mind 
or it will control you. And, and, you know, we've kind of talked about how I, how I was able to do that. The second one we just talked about is embrace the pain and the suffering that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. And then the third one, and this is the one that I've just added is what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the, the fourth one is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And, and I live my life, you know, obviously I have a very deep relationship with God, but, but I live my life kind of by those four principles. And, And I had a nurse, another nurse recently who said, you know, Terry, this trial you're on is really kind of kicking your butt. I mean, it, it's very demanding. I throw up, I shake, I do, I mean, do all right. kinds of things for an entire week. And she's like, nobody would think anything less of you if you stop this. And I tried to explain to her that my doctor may take me off this trial or I may die on this trial, but right. I will never quit this trial. And if you don't have, you know, principles or truths or whatever you want to call them sure. that guide your life, you know, you may quit, you may give up. Yeah. And, and, and I tried to tell her that, and I could tell it wasn't, it wasn't resonating with her. I could just right. tell that she didn't have that kind yeah. of, you know, it's like, yeah, Terry, this is stupid. Why are you doing this? Well, because maybe it will cure me or maybe my doctors will learn something that can cure somebody else. Yeah, That's right. why I'm doing what I'm doing. Wow. I love it. And, and the other thing that kind of hit me with these things that you live by and, and, you know, that you've really pushed, you know, to, you know, to do, it gives you kind of a purpose, you know, you've probably read the book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Frankl. Yep. You know, and he just talked about how important having a purpose or a meaning through the suffering. And, and this is what I, it just hit me as you're saying this, all this suffering you're going through, but you have you have a focus, you have a purpose. And these are the four things that you're going to do to help you get through that. I, I don't know. That just hit me hard, Terry. Yeah, it's, but again, I, I just, I, I want your listeners to understand that, you know, do I get scared? Absolutely. You know, I, I yeah. mean, I'm on my, the first week of my two weeks off. So next yeah. Sunday, you know, I'll be like, I, I don't want to go tomorrow. I, I don't want to do Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, there's no, there's no, I'm not superhuman. I get scared. I get nervous. I, you know, I cry, I I get down, but I, when I get in those places and we all get in those places, you know, you lose a job, you break up with your girlfriend, whatever you do, we all have down times in our life, but it, but it's, it's our choice to stay there or to get up and say, you know what, I'm going to fight on. I'm going to try again. I'm going to do this. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, the day one, week one mentality. Every day is day one, week yeah, one. You know, there are right. no, you know, sort of the, the SEAL, Navy SEAL model. Yeah. You know, the only easy day was yesterday. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> In a lot of ways. So yeah. I, I can I can internalize that. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a really tough question because I know you've learned a lot of lessons through all of this. Is there is there one thing that you could say, this is the biggest lesson I've learned through all of this? I mean, and I know that's a tough question, Terry, because I know there's so many things, but is there something that stands out a little bit more than the rest? Yeah, there is. And, and, and as I'm most likely coming to the end of my life, and, and in all honesty, I'm good with that. And I don't want every psychiatrist and psychologist in Colorado at my door tomorrow because I said that. Right. But, but yeah. what, what I've learned is, and, and the reason I'm good with that is kind of the answer to your question. I found my purpose in life and I lived it. And because I did that, coming to the end of my life doesn't scare me. It's not like I'm begging for another day or another month or another year. It's okay. It's okay to move on. It's okay to die. And I think the people that I've witnessed in my life, certainly seen a lot of people die as a police officer, quite a few people that I've known uh, who I've met during my cancer journey have also passed on. And, and the people that I've seen die, what probably you and I would call peaceful deaths, those yeah. are people that did something with their life. They got out there, they figured out their purpose, and they lived it. And if you do that, death doesn't have the sting that it has for the people who just kind of go through the motions yeah. and then get to the end of their life. And they're like, oh, my God, you know, what, what, what am I going to do now? It's like, yeah, it's too late now. You know, and, and I've had yeah. people say to me, do, you know, what if I don't have enough time? And, and my feeling is 
if God puts you on this earth to do something, whatever that is, and you're spending your time trying to figure it out, and once you figure it out, live it, God's not going to take that away from you. God's going to give you the time you need to find it and live it. So don't worry about, I'm not going to have, I'm going to run out of time. God's going to give you the time. I mean, if he loved you enough to make you and then put you on this earth, knowing all the dumb, stupid, idiotic, sinful (laughs) things you were going to do, then I think he's going to give you the time to figure out what you're supposed to do and to to do it. So that's kind of really the, the most important thing, I guess, that I figured out through this whole journey. Wow. That was powerful, Terry. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm trying, I'm just, you know, not to be dramatic here. I'm trying not to cry. I just, you know, just, I'm sit. I just feel really blessed, Terry, to sit here with you right now for what that's well, worth. Thanks. I mean, no, Todd, I appreciate it. I mean, this is, this is people communicating. This is you and I, like you said at the beginning, maybe we're going to make a difference in the life of somebody out there that hears this, that yeah. we'll never know that we'll never come across. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, I, I had a, again, my, all my stories seem to be about nurses, but I literally, <laughs> I, I had a nurse who she was in training my very first, the very first treatment I had with this, this uh, clinical trial, she was with another nurse and she's, she's young. And a couple of weeks ago, she said to me, you know, Terry, I was going to quit nursing. I was going to get out of this. I talked to my parents. I was going to go to work for Amazon. I had everything worked out. And she said, then I met you. And I heard your story and I yeah. watched how you fight every day. And she's like, I know I'm in the right job. I know I'm supposed to be, you know, I, this is my purpose and right. I need to live it. Now, if she would have never told me that, if she would have not told me that story, I would have never known, had no idea that I had an impact sure. on her life. Wow. So, you know, who's out there that's listening to you and I right now that it's like, you know what, maybe we made a difference to that person. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I agree. And, and you're, you're making a difference in my life right now. Honestly, Terry, I, I really mean that. To, I don't just say that. Thank you. You know, I know you wrote a book called Sustainable <clears throat> Excellence. Tell us about the book. What's it about? And why did you write the book? And what are the key things in that book you want people to take away from? So I, the book is really, uh, was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former uh, player who, who I uh, a coach when I was, was in Texas and she and her boyfriend had moved to California or uh, California <laughs> had moved to Colorado where my, my wife and I are. And, and my wife and I had had dinner with them a couple of times. And I said to her one day, I said, you know, I'm kind of excited that you're living so close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And, and she kind of looked at me and she said, coach, what do you think my purpose is? Mm. I said, I don't know what your purpose is. That's what your life should be about finding yeah. that purpose and living it. And I, and I told her, I said, but remember this, sometimes people's purpose is way down the line. You know, there are people, yeah, sure. I know I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. I know I'm going to take over the family business, whatever it is. But for the rest of us, it's a, it's a struggle. It's something to find. And I told her, I told her the story about Colonel Sanders who started Kentucky fried chicken, who didn't start Kentucky fried chicken until he was in his sixties. I said, I don't know if that was his purpose, but I'm going to assume that it was. And he had to wait his entire life to find that purpose and to live it. I said, so don't think that, you know, five years down the road, if you don't know your purpose, that you're just going to quit and give up. So that was, that was one conversation. The second conversation was with a basketball player down at the Citadel who connected with me on LinkedIn. And he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he needed to know to not only be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I thought about it for a while. I didn't want to give him the classic, you know, work hard, get up early, help out. Not that those aren't important. Those right. are extremely important, sure, sure. but they've been done before, so to speak. I wanted, I wanted to go deeper. I kind of wanted to give him stuff that would resonate in his soul. So I, I thought for a while and I started writing notes and eventually I had these 10 principles, these 10 ideas, and, and I was comfortable enough and I sent it to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, I've got a life story that fits under that principle, or I know somebody who has a story that, you know, would, would illustrate how this principle impacted their life. And so literally from the time I, I had my foot or my leg amputated in April of last year, and I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June, I wrote this book. I sat down at the typewriter with the 10 principles, and I started building stories Mm -hmm. underneath them. And then I was like, I've got a book. But did I have a book? 
you know, so my wife uh, works with a guy who's a, a former Navy SEAL and his wife or yeah, his wife is a former prosecutor uh, and is a real estate attorney now. And, and they're in their early 30s. And so I gave it to him and I said, look, be brutally honest with me. Is this garbage or is this something I need to get published? Right. And they both read it and they're like, you know, two. I mean, a Navy SEAL, I'm like, my God, the, right. the most, you know, the toughest. I'm like, and you're telling me that you took something away from this book? Well, if that's the case, then maybe I do need to get it published. So that's kind of how the book came about. Okay. Um, that's there awesome. are there are these 10 principles, and and I won't give you all of them. I'll give you a couple ones that I that I really like. Yeah. Uh, and they're in no particular order whatsoever. The last one is, I think the most important probably should have been number one, but it, it, it talks about how important love is putting, putting love into the world, putting as much love as you can, especially today into this world that we have. So, so that's one, one of the ones that I really like, and, and I may have alluded to it earlier is that most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. I know I've done it. I've, you know, I wanted to do this, but I'm afraid, so I'm not going to do it. Well, that's thinking with your fears. That's not yeah. thinking with your mind. So that's one. And, and then another one is uh, you are the person that you're looking to become. You know, I want to be this person. I want to be, you're already that person. You right. just got to go through the steps yeah. to get there. So there, there are things like that. And I mean, especially one is about failure and, and failing often and, and not being afraid to fail. You know, there's one about listening and, and not listening to respond but listening to understand. And that's something I learned a lot as a hostage negotiator. You know, I got to understand where this person's coming from. You know, what are they saying? What are they not telling me? And why are they saying? And, Mm -hmm. and that was to me, you know, we're, we get in conversation, you know, hurry up and say what you're going to say, because I want to get my two cents. (laughs) No, be quiet. Listen to what they're saying and and try to figure out why they're saying it. So those are a couple of the, the chapters that are in the book. Beautiful. It sounds amazing, man. I, I want to definitely get a copy of that. Um, I want to go back to that last principle that you said is probably one of the most important is love, putting love into the world. And like you said, I mean, we always need to do that, but it seems like now where we're at in our world, there's just so much strife and so many people are just, you know, we're battling against each other when the answer should be love. How do we do that, Terry? How do we how do we put more love into the world? What, what maybe some ways you've done that? I, I think it's, it's interesting. I've, I've been contacted by several younger people who had said they had an interest in going into law enforcement and what recommendation would I give to them? Yeah. And, and, and the first thing I always tell them is put down your cell phone, put down your iPad, go out into the street and talk to the homeless guy yeah. and then go up to the penthouse and talk to the guy up there. Because if you're not able, and, and I still have friends that are in law enforcement, and a couple of them are in uh, the training section. And they're like, the biggest problem we have with new recruits today is they can't talk to people. Okay. And I think if, if we could, and it, it, just kind of what we were saying before, if we could talk to each other, not scream at each other, not throw rocks and bottles at each other and say, you know, because you're on that side, you're wrong. And I'm on this right. side, I'm right. But right. talk to each other with, with, a, with a willingness to understand where that person's coming from. Okay, you're a black person. You're a black man. I, I've had problems with, okay, let's talk about that. What yeah. problems have you had? Let's talk about why. And, 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 and I think the biggest, I, I worked an entirely black neighborhood for four and a half years as a beat cop in a, in a marked car in uniform with, with a, a white partner uh, who's still a friend of mine. And we let our relief in everything, felony arrest, guns recovered, dope recovered, DUIs, everything. And yet we never got complained on. And I think the reason we didn't is we were able to communicate with people. If we were going to do something, I mean, if we pulled you over because your car matched the description of somebody who, you know, it just carjacked somebody or was in an armed robbery, whatever. Well, if you're not the person, then we would explain that to you. Hey, the reason we pulled you over is because your vehicle matches the description of some, you know, blah, 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 blah. And if you tell people that, they're, well, oh, sure, officer, I get it. Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. But yeah. these cops that are like, you know, I don't have to tell you why I pulled you over. You're right. You don't. Right. But why wouldn't you? And, and we used to talk in law enforcement about there were people who could take a yes person and turn them into a no person by how they treated them, how they act yeah, and how they sure, talked and stuff sure. like that. But then there were also people who could take a no person 
and turn them into a yes person based on what they said and how they mm-hmm. said it. We wanted to be the latter. You know, my partner, I always yeah. wanted to be the latter. So we, we over explained why we did what we did. People may not have liked it. They may not have agreed with it, but they understood it. And, and, and when we have understanding, we, we can progress. If we don't understand what each other does or where we're coming from, you know, I mean, you can't train me as a warrior and then put me out on the street and expect me to be a social worker. It right. just it just doesn't happen. Yeah, but right. that's what we're asking cops to do today. You know, yeah. we're going to train you and all this stuff. But then, you know, you've got to be nice and kind. And, and you do. You do need to be nice and kind. But when it comes time to ratchet it up, you need to be able to do that as well. So yeah. understanding having people understand where the police are coming from and then certainly understand where the citizens are coming from, because the bottom line is the power and the authority of the police. They come from the citizens, man. Very well said. And I think every uh, police department out there should listen to this, (laughs) you know, because I I couldn't agree more. Communication is the key. It's interesting, Terry, in in my line of work, you know, I work with people who are struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, those kind of things. And, and, and we always say connections, the opposite of addiction. And when we communicate, just like you and I are right now, we're, we're connecting with each other. Like you said earlier, and boy, I feel, I feel you, Terry, and, and it's amazing, and and it, it's no different. That I think that's a great way to show love is what I'm going to communicate with you, but I'm also going to listen. Here's what I'm hearing you say, and you know, again, your skills as a negotiator have <laughs> definitely helped you in that as well. So that's really beautiful. Yeah, I, I mean, it is, and we we don't have to be right all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's okay to say. Hey, you know, I never thought about that, or I never realized that perspective was, you know, from coming from somebody. I, I never. It's it's okay. We don't have to have all the answers. I don't. Yeah. You know, that's why people. You know, I get on these podcasts. People, you know, tell me. I'll, I'll tell you my experience, but I don't have all the answers. Right. You know, we yeah. got we got to figure this out together, not yeah. separately. We got to come yeah. together and figure this stuff out. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's powerful. Uh, so you have a daughter, correct? I do. Just just a daughter, right? What's her name? Her name is Michaela. Michaela. So yes. how is Michaela and your and your wife handling just what you're going through? How's that been going? And if that's okay to ask that, I mean, that's sure. pretty personal, I know. No, you can ask me anything you want. I, there's okay. there's not, no question that is, <laughs> okay. off, is off the table. So when I was diagnosed, my our, our daughter was in high school and my wife and I made a conscious decision that we would never lie to her. We would never, you know, I mean, obviously we would tell her the truth age appropriate for the time. I mean, she's, she's 25 years old now and she's a Lieutenant in the newly created space force and a a graduate of the air force Academy. So she's she's a pretty, pretty squared away young lady, but we, we made a decision never to lie. And, and we were always, you know, it was always, again, going back to the three F's family. And, and I remember when, when I had my leg amputated and I met with my doctor and he's like, you got these, all these tumors in your lungs. And he's like, we want to put you on chemotherapy. And I was like, you know what? I I don't really want to do that. You know, I, I I mean, I've, I've fought a good fight. I have, I've, I've done the best I could, but I, I don't like, can you cure me? And he's like, probably not. I'm Mm. like, okay, so why do I want to go through all this? You know, for, for, so I go home and I, and I, you know, I tell my wife and daughter and, you know, they're both immediately family meeting. Got to have a family meeting, have yeah. a family meeting. Okay. Let's take a vote. Who wants dad to have chemotherapy? They both raise their hands. Like, okay, you're outvoted two to one. You're getting chemotherapy. <laughs> and literally that's kind of the way it went. You know, it was like, <laughs> we want you to have chemotherapy. You're going to do chemotherapy. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. okay, I'll do chemotherapy. You know, I mean, I, I, I probably would have come to the same conclusion, you know, when I had more time to think about it, but sure. that's, that's kind of the family we are. And, and my yeah. wife, is is as tough as nails. I mean, I know this is killing her. I know yeah. when she had to drop me off at the hospital to have my leg amputated. I can't, be, you know, we've been married for 27 years, you know, and, oh, and she's like, I can't, I can't be with you. I can't help you. I can't comfort you. I can't. It's like, you know what? Just pray for me. Just just go out in the parking lot, yeah. <laughs> sit in the parking lot until the doctor calls you and, and pray and for pray. me. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do that. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story here. So no, you're good. There was a there was a point in time where I had had my second knee sur- or a second surgery, and I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed, and and I had forty staples. 
that kind of went through my thigh, up through my groin and, and into my lower abdomen. Wow. And I, I was being driven home. I was being discharged. And, and the nurse was like, would you like some pain medication? And I don't like taking medication. So yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not going to take it. It's, it's a short ride home. So I get home and I make the three steps into the house from the garage. And, and then I get, I've got seven steps to a landing and then seven steps upstairs to the bedroom. And by the time I got to the landing, the, my groin felt like it was on fire. Like oh, it was man. just pulling yeah. and burning and all that. And yeah. I, I looked at my wife and daughter and I'm like, look, I, I gotta, I gotta take a break. I gotta sit down. I was sweating. I was breathing heavy. And you know, I, I, at the time I'm six foot eight, I'm 240 pounds. Yeah. My 15 year old <laughs> daughter is like, absolutely not. She grabs me literally by my lapels, by my, my shirt. Uh -huh. And my wife pushes from the back and they're like, no, you you're coming you know, and, yeah. and they got me up those stairs. Wow. And I, I tell that story because I ask, I ask these two questions. Number one, who in your life is pushing or pulling you towards your goals, towards yeah. your ambitions, toward your dreams, yeah. or maybe more importantly, who are you pushing and pulling towards their goals and their dreams? Yeah. I mean, it, my daughter knew that if I sat down on that stair, there's no way they would have gotten me up because the pain wasn't getting any lighter. Right. It was just getting worse. Yeah. So, sure. I mean, she was just like, Nope, dad, here you go. Bang. Wow. We're pulling you and pushing you. And that to me, that was such a, you know, I didn't think about it in the moment, but it was such a powerful story about yeah. how my family rallied and said, no, we're going to help you. Get, we're going to get you to where you need to be. Wow. Faith, family, and friends, right? Absolutely. Man, that, that's beautiful, man. Wow. That is amazing. You know, there's so much I would love to talk to you about, but you know, I, I want to ask you a question. If, if there's someone listening to you right now, Terry, who's just having a rough time, or maybe they're going through cancer themselves, you know, or they're just in a dark place, you know, you've already shared some amazing things that are very helpful, but if we could hit this one person you and I talked about before we started, what would you tell this person right now? Who's just I mean, maybe, maybe they're in victim mindset and that kind of thing. And they're just stuck. What would you say to them, Terry? So uh, I'll throw this out. I mean, I'm trying to, there's several things that I, sure. I, I think I could say, but let me just, I'll, I'll focus on this one. The, the pain that I have, the pain that they may have, they may be going through now, it's going to end eventually. It may end through, you know, drugs. It may end through surgery. It, it may yeah. end through death. But eventually that pain is going to end. If you quit, if you give up, you know, if you say you're done, pain is always going to be with you. That pain is always going to be there. Mm. So I, I know that, you wow. know, you, you kind of got to think about that for a while. I, I mean, you know, yeah. pain's going to go away. But if you quit, pain's always going to be there. It doesn't matter. It's always going to be there. So what I tell you is that, you know what? We talk about winning the day. And yeah. I remember when I was on interferon, sometimes for me, winning the day meant winning just this minute. I just have to get through this minute. I feel yeah. so lousy. I feel so sick. I hurt so bad. I can't do it. No, nope. just get through this day. There, there's, a, there's a great story that, um, that, that I, I've put in the book. Um, the, there's a Navy SEAL by the name of David Goggins. And, and I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard of him. The, oh, the guys, yeah. I, lo I love Goggins. I've read Goggins is great. Yeah. yeah, I have too. I mean, the guy's great. But I remember there was a time before I had my foot amputated where they were, I was on a biologic medication and, and this medicine made me extremely tired. It ended up giving me a disease called pseudo gout where my knee swelled and had oh, like wow. crystals in it was, it was just horrible to, to walk. And, and then I ended up thinking I woke up in the middle of the night thinking I was having a heart attack, couldn't breathe, chest pain, had a blood clot in my lung and fluid around the sack of my heart. And I remember laying in the emergency room, just mentally and physically depleted. I was done. And I may get a little emotional with this. I looked at my wife, tears running down my cheeks. And I'm like, just let me die. Just let me go. I'm, I, I, I got to get out of this body that is continually attacking wow. me. And I, at that point, I remembered reading an article about the owner of a professional sports team who paid a Navy SEAL, and the Navy SEAL was, was David Goggins, to come and live with his family for a month and teach them that they can use their mind to do more than their body ever thought they yeah, could do. Right. And one of the things he taught was the 40% rule. And I remember yeah. thinking, you know, that here I am, I'm done. I, I'm at the end of my rope. I just want to let go. I just want to die. 
But what Goggin says is, if you think you're at that point in your life, and it may not have to be as severe as what I was going through, you know, maybe you're sure. running. I'm like, I want to run five miles today. I'm on mile three. I can't go anymore. What Goggins is telling you is if you think you're done mentally or physically, you're only at 40% of your maximum, that you still have 60% left in your tank. Yeah. And I, I remember just blocking everything out, going to that sort of place, you know, that center of my body, my, my being. And thinking about that, I still have 60% more left to give. I'm not quitting now. So that's kind of how I got through that. I remember that story. Wow, dude. You know, I remember him. I remember that story um, that David shared. And yeah, that guy's an amazing, he's on another level, but uh, (laughs) right. That's great advice though, for, for all of us. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I'm going to ask one last question before we get into how we can get a hold of you and get your book. What do you love most about you, Terry? What do I love most about me? I guess probably I'd say two things. One, my belief in God. I'm so glad I have that. It's gotten me through so much. Mm -hmm. And two, the fact that the only way you're going to stop me is to kill me. I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep getting up every day and fighting this disease until either I beat it or it kills me. Either way, the pain's going to stop. Wow. Love it. I love that about you too. (laughs) I I do. Well, you know, if people want to reach out to you and ask you a question or get to know you better and also get a copy of your book, what's the best way for them to do that? So the best way to get in touch with me would be through my, I have a, a daily blog that I put a, a motivational thought idea okay. saying, sometimes I put a story or a video up, but they're always short. I know people are busy. It's called motivationalcheck.com. Okay. If you want to send me an email, motivationalcheck at AOL.com, you can, there's a link to get to the book on motivationalcheck.com, but you can get it at Amazon. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com. You can get it on Apple iBook, anywhere you can get a book online you can get sustainable excellence as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, you know, I I could spend another couple hours with you, Terry, but I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and especially with all that you're dealing with. And, you know, I'm a better person for sitting here listening to you for the past hour. I just want you to know that. And thank you. You know, the, the, what hit me the hardest is just your, you know, what you learned from your parents, faith, family, and friends, you know, having your priorities straight and, you know, you can tell that that's the way you live your life. And, you know, I just wish you the best of luck to you and your family. And uh, my prayers are with you and your family as well. And I'm sure everyone listening to this will send a prayer your way as well. And, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. You know, people always say, you know, I'll pray for you. That means something to me. You know, that's, yeah. that's important to me. And when people say that, I'm like, please do. And yeah. I'll pray for you as well. You know, I probably spend an hour every day praying for all these people who I've come in contact with who asked me to pray for them. So I'm yeah. happy to do that. You know, I've been guilty. I'll be honest with you, Terry, where I said, Hey, I'll pray for you. And I never say the prayer. I, I will say the prayer. I have, I've actually really made it a, a, a boundary with myself that if I ever say that I will actually do it. So for what that's worth, and, and I'm just you. being, I'm just being honest with you. Um, but thank you so much. And if there's anything I can ever do for you in the future, please let me know. Um, and I, I would love to, you know, even if we get back on here again and talk some more, I would love to do that with you. And I, I just challenge uh, all of our listeners to reach out to Terry, check out his website, get buy his book, learn more about what he's teaching us. And well, I'll tell you, I guarantee you, anyone listening to this is going to leave edified and fulfilled. So Terry, well, thanks, Doug. thanks for yeah. having me on. You bet. Thanks uh, to you. And then, you know, best of luck to all of you're doing in your family. We love you guys. And so there you go, everybody. I told you this was going to be amazing. Um, Terry Tucker, motivationalcheck.com. Please reach out to him. Share this episode with everyone that you know. And uh, let's spread the word. And let's all say a prayer for Terry and his entire family. I love you guys. Thanks for your support. And until next time.